2: Welcome to Cisco Champions Radio Season 5, Episode 15. Today, we're taking you behind the scenes to give you a view of the knock at Cisco Live events. Our Cisco SME today is Joe Clark, and our champion host today is Aaron Kirk. As for me, I'm Brett Shore from the Cisco Champion program team, and I'm your moderator today. Joe, if you could start out by introducing yourself and giving us a little bit about your role at Cisco, that would be a great start.
1: Uh, sure, uh, Joe Clark.
2: I'm uh,
1: almost a 20-year veteran at Cisco. My 20-year anniversary is June 1st. I'm in the Learning organization. Uh, recently joined Learning from TAC. Uh, my area of, of expertise in Cisco has always been uh, focused around network management, automation, and programmability. Um, so there's that that hint of or or actually explicit operations background, and that's kind of how I got uh, involved back in the day in Cisco Live. Um, It was a a lot of fun to be able to learn about an actual implemented and and production network uh, and be able to bring some of that back into how I interacted with customers and then share some of my experiences forward uh, into subsequent Cisco Lives.
2: Great, thanks, Joe. Uh, Aaron, if you can uh, give us some information about... Who you are, where you are, and what you do, that would also be great.
0: Yeah. Um, so, my name is Aaron Kirk. I'm in my eighth year at NetApp. I'm a, currently a technical marketing engineer at NetApp, um, and I'm working on the FlexPod product. So, before moving on to the FlexPod team, I did around five years on, on Metricluster, which I'm sure we'll get into in the podcast. But... Um, through the combination of those two, when uh, Joe was looking for some data center equipment for, um, for Cisco Live several years ago, um, I got in touch with him, and we proposed a Metro Cluster for that. So that's how I ended up here.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Aaron. Now, with that, I'm going to go ahead and pass this over to you. I know you've got several questions for Joe to get things kicked off, so I'll go ahead, I'll go ahead and let you uh, start.
0: So, uh, Joe, do you want to talk a little bit about the origin of uh, the FlexPod and Cisco Live?
2: Um, sure.
1: That sounds like a, a good place to start. Uh, you kind of hinted a, a little bit about it, so um, in all honesty, the, the coordinator for Cisco Live Europe, uh, Remco um uh, I've been helping out more on the network management side of Cisco Live Europe, uh, doing a little bit more in the U.S. in previous years in terms of the architecture and design of the network, and the year he called me, the, the guy who typically did the data center in Europe, Uh, He had some uh, family matters to attend to and wasn't going to be able to make it that year. And Remco said, hey, Joe, you want to do the data set? And I said, yeah, I haven't done it before, but that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, And then the first question was, well, we need storage. We actually need to build a data center. And in the U.S., we had had a really good partnership with NetApp. Um, We hadn't done the Metro Cluster uh, in the U.S. up until that point, but we did – uh, really embraced the whole FlexPod product. And so I said, you know what, let me see if NetApp can help us out. And that's uh, ultimately, you and I got in touch and we had some of those face-to-face meetings since we're both in RTP, and we came up with this the, the, the Metro cluster solution based on the requirements of it's got to work, no matter what, it's got to work, and we need that active, active, high availability, high performance even though you you keep telling us we we don't come close to even broaching the the performance limitations of the Metro cluster. (laughs) We wanted that performance, we wanted that high availability, and we wanted to showcase the best of Cisco and the best of NetApp and the NetApp Cisco partnership.
0: Yeah, so in case that wasn't clear to anyone who's listening, um, this is definitely, it's behind the scenes of the NOC, but you've got two of the data center guys here. So we're gonna talk more about data center, I think, than than anything else in the NOC. Although I bet Joe could talk about anything that uh, that we need to talk about
1: yeah I've, I've been I've, I've been doing it for so long and, and always connected as part of the, the staging that we do so we, we really do treat this as as much of a production network as we can getting involved I mean you, you the data center is in direct support of the services that are going to run on the network which is in direct support of the network and the type of of operational environment we wanna to provide to our customers and our attendees. So it's uh, needing to understand, well, what are you going to do in terms of a VLAN allocation? What are you going to do in terms of layer two and layer three DMARC? How are you gonna handle the wireless? Um, those will inform some of the services like DHCP and DNS. Um, those are going to inform how we're gonna do things like the network management side of things. and then that in turn informs what we want to do for our data center. How much horsepower do we want to give it? How do we want to separate services across the, the kind of redundant fabric we put in. So by all means we can we can talk about the entire operations center, but in terms of how you and I, Aaron, got together and how we we started to kind of of, of team up on this on this partnership, it really did focus around the data center.
0: Yeah. Agreed, and so I think the beginning of that is kind of the metro cluster and that need for business continu- continuity and a set of services that are going to stay up regardless of any uh, any power loss or any uh, flooding or anything that might happen during the show. We know we have all these services, and they need to remain operational through any through any issues. So uh, the the metro cluster side of that and the way we do that is the um, That's that's what NetApp provides for this, Um, but that's an active-active storage, two storage clusters that both are serving data at the same time, but if anything happens to one of those two clusters, then we can fail back over to the uh, surviving cluster. That way, the storage remains accessible and we can fail over VMs to the surviving site or anything else that we might need to.
1: Well, um, so, so speaking so, uh, of which, uh, real quick, uh, because you, you, I, I maybe you want to touch on what happened this past time in, uh, in Barcelona as we were doing the staging um, relative to that, that failover.
0: Uh, yeah. So, I think one of the things I wanted to talk about was stories uh, from all of the different Cisco Live events that we've had. Um, so, yeah, that's certainly one of the good stories. Um, so Do you want to you wanna start that one?
1: Um, sure. Uh, it, it, it all came. <laughs> it all came really from uh, from you. so We're all, we're all sitting. So the, the the designers of the network are all sitting in um, uh, a room. In no one's in the convention center in Barcelona. Just us. We're about ready to go home, actually, or back to the hotel. And Aaron says, um, I, "I think we just had a failover again. Uh, ah, come on, man." Um, just some glitchy thing with the wireless. Since we're we're kind of duct taped in at that point, uh, wireless wise. They said, no, no, I, we we lost one of our our data centers, one of our our main equipment rooms. And sure enough, everyone starts going, yep, yep something's wrong, something's wrong. And Aaron's, I want to fail it over. I, I need to fail it over. And I'm like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. But he was right. We had entered a, a true um, disaster, as it were. Um, Aaron, you did the failover, uh, and and sure enough, within a few seconds, everything was back up. I mean, legitimately, services on the network, everything's working. We run over, physically there's a bunch of us just running across, and if you've ever been to the Barcelona, um, the, the, the convention center there, especially at night, it's dark, everything's dark, none of the people movers or those things that vertical escalator or horizontal escalator, none of them are working. So we're just running, running, running through this dark maze of halls. We get over to the main equipment room that went down, and the um, show that was there, there was a a beauty, cosmetology, Cosmetic. uh,
0: cosmetics, sorry.
1: Cosmetics um, uh, exhibition was there. As they moved out, I guess they didn't label our power correctly. They just started pulling, or I guess pushing on to off on all the circuits, and they killed both of our redundant power circuits to that equipment room. So we legitimately were down in, in there. I mean, you walk in and note the lack of... Yeah, bandwidth. there were no
0: fans spinning. <laughs> yeah.
1: It, that that was it,
0: the first thing. We walked in, we were like, yeah, it's definitely down because I don't hear any fans.
1: Not, it was in a quiet, dark room. Um, but I to, testament to the, the the survivability of this whole thing here, it, it all came back up. No issues. We were we never really went down, but, but everything came back up in terms of, of applications on both sides of the of the network.
0: Yeah, I think that was uh, that was one of the more exciting things from this past uh, year in Barcelona. Um, but and and that was before the show started. But just so we're clear, if you ever see um, four or five. Uh, People that are running across the show floor with knock shirts on—it's um, it, probably something you want to pay attention to because something's gone wrong, and you know we're all going to fix it and figure out what happened. So that was that was a pretty exciting event.
1: And and you also mentioned um, you also mentioned flooding. Um, we, uh, we we had some of that too.
0: Yeah, I wish I could share pictures over the uh, podcast, but unfortunately not. But yeah, we had someone who walked down into the. Uh, into the bottom level where the data center was, and it it had been raining, I don't know, for just like a day or two at that point, Um, but someone went down there, and they were like, hey, right outside the data center door, there's a pool of like an inch or two of water, and it's rising, so we, we were trying to figure out at that point, you know, what happens if both of our data, if we have to take them down because there's water in the data center, but then after we talked about it a little bit, we realized that you know, they've probably had rain here before. This is probably something they know how to deal with, and it's not actually going to flood the data center. And it turns out that was correct. Um, it got up to like an inch or two of water outside the data center, but because there was a little slope going into the data center, um, none of the water came in. So uh, yeah, certainly something that they have dealt with before, I guess, and they know what to plan for.
1: Yes. And, and to some extent, because I do, I do recall seeing the pictures of the, of the people patching in cable with water uh, just about up to the 30 amp um, boxes on the floor and mm-hmm. wondering, um, sure, they, they must have experience with that, but, but do you really wanna risk what 30 amps is gonna feel like when the water hits it? Um, <laughs> nonetheless, the, the, the network works. Um, and one of the other, uh, one of the other elements you reminded me of in terms of, of the survivability and in terms of just the kind of conversations we had and were able to have was some of the uh, automation and monitoring you put in to well we all put in across the entire network, but you put in specifically to the uh, to the metro cluster. so we were alerted to things like uh, disk failures and other operational uh, issues there, so we didn't always have to be running down uh, to visual
0: needs. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the best things about um, Cisco Live and the NOx team is during that week when we show up before the event, um, we have to get the data center equipment up, but then after the point where it's up, we don't. Ha- we want to be there, we want to be able to monitor it in case things go wrong, but in most cases, things are not going wrong. So we can just spend the entire week nerding out and trying mm-hmm. to figure out what kinds of things can we automate, um, what kinds of things do we want notifications from, and uh, Joe actually built this great script uh, that will feed notifications into our Spark rooms or Teams rooms. Um, so for things like you know uh, some of my data center equipment rebooting, for my space running out of my volumes, for disks failing. Um, anything like that, I can create little scripts that will um, post a notification. So regardless of where we are, if we're back at the hotel, if we're eating dinner, we can see that. Oh, we just lost a disk. We might want to go check it out and see if there's anything going on here.
1: Yep. And then you had the uh, you had the dashboards as well to be able to kind of give you that overall. I, I, I just I recall the, the thumbs up, thumbs down, kind of the the overall health of all the cluster nodes. Just being able to to aggregate that data and then visualize things very quickly definitely helped us yeah. when when people were reporting a problem to be able to say eh yep it's working it's not the network it's not the data center
0: yeah definitely um, I think in the three years that I've been doing Cisco Live I think the quality of the dashboards and the knock has gone up quite a bit because that first year I did it. Um, I think you guys had a lot of different custom dashboards. Like you had, you had written all the HTML for it, and I used Grafana for all the graphs, and, graphs, and everything. I think people started to pick up, like, oh, Grafana makes this really easy. Let's just use that too. And I think this year we had three or four Grafana servers that were all running in the NOC, and everyone was feeding all their data into these so that they could visualize them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We we, we certainly made use sort of the Grafana, Influx, and Prometheus uh, time series way of, of doing things this time. And I think next time um, we'll, we'll do even more because um, like you said, we, we get that opportunity to nerd out and it's not like we're nerding out from scratch every time. We build on what we've yes. done and we, we start to say, well, what didn't work last time and let's automate it this time, or what could we have done better? And, and over the, the more we do this, I think we're going to have something maybe, uh, maybe we can sell. I have a question. <laughs> this is Kim for people who actually weren't there and working in the knock what what should they know about it i mean what how many how much equipment is in there how much data are you guys dealing with what are some of the statistics behind it you know you guys are kind of into the detail of mm-hmm. what it was like between the two of you and without having been there or being part of it it's kind of hard to tell the scale of this and i know it's like there's an amazing amount of data that goes through there, and an amazing amount of work, and just put putting that wireless endpoints and all of that kind of access points and all that. So, can you guys give us an idea of some of that? So, just to get an idea of the scale of it. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I think, um, I think we can do that. Oh. You You want to start with the storage, and then build up from there.
1: Um. Sure, I can. So we um, uh, we uh, in- inevitably. You- it's about the team that does this. So you're right, Aaron and I have been going back and forth about our own, uh, mostly our own personal experience. But um, and we mentioned with the, the power outages, there were a number of us. There's a, a core team of about 12 people. And then we, uh, when the show's going uh, with associate uh, systems engineers who are there. Um, and the the wider set of of technical marketing engineers and other systems engineers, we're about a team of 75 people, and that team is used to do the uh, physical deployment of things. Kim, you mentioned access points. Uh, We had over 1,000 access points uh, deployed, uh, mixed with some that we brought with some that were already in the convention center. Um, We have uh, hundreds of switches that are deployed to support this, uh, then as you work your way back, we've got um, uh, ASR 1000 HX routers that, that form the, the edge routing infrastructure. We have um, Catalyst 6800 series switches that form the core switching infrastructure. Uh, in terms of the data center, uh, we headed that with two uh, Nexus 5500s, so next year we will most likely use the 9Ks. Um, Then into that led the the Metro cluster with the, um, as I mentioned, storage and and, and compute that was a little bit more than what we had uh, needed, but we always want to make sure that we have more than less because we have to deliver that that experience and it has to work. We had about 38 terabytes of disk um, with that, but NetApp does deduplication, so we we really had a lot more uh, available storage. Compute-wise, we had 704 cores with uh, about 11 terabytes of RAM uh, that we could use for various network management, um, analytics and operations and other services. And it all takes that that group of people to be able to pull this off and everyone working in there Um, There are various areas, be it routing, be it switching, or um, or, over the wireless, or just the physical deployment and and troubleshooting aspects of this to make sure that that, that everything works seamlessly.
0: Yeah, and the other part about that um, is that it's not just the setup where we go the week before. Um, We also spent some time out in London about a month and a half before the show started. Mm -hmm. And that's where we got that core team of uh, switching and routing people together to build everything in London, make sure it all works, test it out, uh, and then we shipped it to Barcelona from there. So that that's definitely an important part is the uh, preparation that we had before uh, the setup week, the week before the show.
1: And, 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 Kim, you asked about in terms of traffic, in terms of, of security events, in terms of just the types of things we see. So – Every year um, we seem to do a little bit more. We seem to have a little bit more, a few more attendees, and therefore we do more traffic. So this year we almost, and probably did actually said and done, do about 35 terabytes of traffic to the internet alone. For the for the duration of the show. As long as we were there, we did about 35 terabytes, um, which is approximately, uh, one of uh, our, our uh, automation engineers did some, some calculations of what this means, but it's uh, uh, about 3.2 copies of all printed volumes in the U.S. Library of Congress, just to give you an idea of just how much traffic. And that's just out to the internet. That doesn't include any of the uh, any of the internal traffic. Um, Security-wise, we do see events. We see events both internal and external. Uh, a lot of what you would typically see if you look at a, a public like IPv4 address, you get a lot of scans. Uh, people doing trying to do brute force attacks. Internally, some of the same things. Uh, every year, we tend to see, especially because in the world of solutions, people can bring their own um, uh, laptops. Usually, these laptops are only pulled out of the box for trade shows so they don't tend to have the latest security updates all the time. So we have seen cases of of malware trying to spread, and we use some of our um, uh, products that we acquired from the the Lancope acquisition uh, to be able to monitor this and to be able to get a little bit proactively ahead to shut some of these things down early before they become problems.
0: Cool. So um, let's talk – you want to talk about a few more of the – kind of design decisions or some of the planning that goes into the data center or just the network in general? I know uh, sure. for us, it starts like a month and a half before, but, you know, for Rimco there's a full year process where he's planning and for upcoming events and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, the, um, the, the team, as you mentioned, Rimco, he's, again, the, the leader for, from the network team in um, he works a number of events throughout the year, much smaller things, um, but throughout that he's learning about, hey, what worked here or, what might we want to do um, next time in Cisco Live. But it, it kind of all then begins at the very end of the previous show, so throwing out a little chicken and the egg conundrums. Um, at the end of 2018, this past show, we had a, uh, a debrief, kind of an after-action report. Uh, we all got together. We shared, this is what worked, this is what didn't, this is what we'd like to do next time. So it kind of starts there and, and continues to evolve um, throughout the year. And then, uh, and then we, we start to, to pull together. Remco starts to pull the, the core team um, together and we start to hash out what we're really going to do. Because so there's the intent of, yeah, if I had all this time and all this, uh, you know, all these resources, this is what ideally I'd like to do. And then rubber starts meeting the road and we decide, yeah, this is what we're going to have time to do. This is what's going to make practical sense. The good news is now we've seen this venue before. We had one year under our, our belt, so it should be a little bit easier to, to, to move in and start doing some of those things. And and the design is going to be around, it takes into account a number of things. So people would ask us, are you doing ECI? Are you doing software-defined access? Are you doing Hyperflex? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? We have to be a little bit careful. There are plenty of opportunity on the the show floor to be able to demo new uh, state-of-the-art, leading-edge, whatever you want to call them, uh, technologies or solutions. And we want to be able to enable that but we also want to be able to provide that world-class, that network, production-level network experience for all our attendees. So we, we balance the, the new and the sexy with the it's got to work, it's well-tested, um, there are no big gotchas in there. Um, so over time, we do start to incorporate new hardware, new solutions, new capabilities into the design. And we factor that in, Aaron, as you mentioned, up front. We, we get together and we decide what's realistic. Um, what do we feel that we're comfortable in deploying um, that's, that's going to give us that, the experience that we want? And then we start uh, doing some of the soft design on paper, uh, and then we get together um, in our early stage. Last year was London, this year maybe uh, uh, Amsterdam, and we start to build it out in, in actual into the racks, uh, which will get shipped out to, uh, to Barcelona, and then we'll complete the staging there.
2: This is Brett. I have a quick question here. Maybe it's not that quick. And right, this is for Joe. Um, and, you know, it's got to be nerve wracking setting up uh, not for such a large event. And I'm just wondering if you can share with us, what's sort of your biggest, like an excuse my language, Oh shit moment. And how did you get past it? And, and what are you doing differently next time to avoid something like that?
1: The, the power outage was, was such a moment. Um, but you could say, well, it's always dynamic. I mean, we we are in an event space. We're, we're, we're a network, that, a production network, that, that by the time Aaron and I show up, it's maybe we've got four days to put it together. It runs for a little under a week, and then we tear it all down within a few hours. It's, it's a different kind of mindset. So there are always going to be some, ah, oh no, uh, kind of moments. But the biggest thing I think I've personally learned um, and it even goes back to that power issue, is label everything. Um, Aaron, Aaron, you may remember us carrying big, heavy disk shelves across the, uh, uh, the Berlin Convention Center a couple of years back because the labels weren't uh, good on the, um, on the data center here, and we had swapped things around. But the moral of the story is the more you label, the more you document, and this goes for just about any network out there, the, the better off you're going to be. The, 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 you'll be able to make more informed decisions uh, and, and you're going to feel less worried about, is this going to work? Did I do this right? Just make sure everything is labeled and make sure everything is documented. Would you have something yes. else that you might throw in there?
0: Uh, I figured you were going to bring up the labeling. Um, Brett, I would just toss in that one of the things I've learned about Joe is that through preparation and planning, he avoids a lot of those "oh shit" moments that uh, you might be worried about during the show. Um, so I I don't know of a time during the show that we've had like a big outage or something like that. At least at the uh, Europe event. So um, you know, kind of props to Joe for planning and and having that uh, design well thought out so that he avoids some of those.
1: So it's the whole. It's the, I mean, it's the whole team. It's why we we kind of do it in those those phases. Why we we need we. And and why we we work, why we do it year after year. It helps to build that trust too. Uh, that, that you know, so and so has your back. Um, you've worked with them before. You know how um, how to work well with them. Um, As it's, it's why Aaron and I. I mean, we we only met a couple of years ago, but I think we we kind of gelled. We we, we understand each other, and it makes for that team that we, we know we can count on each other just like we can count on every single one of the members of the team that if something goes wrong, if I'm not around, Aaron can handle it or some of the other team can jump in and help us out. And, and, and we're always working towards that common goal of making sure everything works well for the attendees.
0: Yeah, so I'll I'll add in one other story and that was from last year in Berlin. I think one of the monitoring things we had was monitoring the ports on the Nexus switches in our data center, on the Nexus 5 case. So um, while we were just sitting there, and all of a sudden we see that you know some of the, one of the ports was going down and then coming back up. We investigated and we figured out that that port is connected to one of the devices that's connecting my storage contru- controllers to their disks. The Metro cluster has redundancy built into every layer. So losing one device is not a big deal, but oh, why, why is that device rebooting? And it turns out that there was a um, corrupted RAM issue on that device and it was rebooting around every two days. Um, so that was a pretty big uh, event that sticks out in my mind as something where we're down to a single path to all of our disks because of this one device rebooting. Um, if we lose that other um, Fiber bridge at the same time, then you know we're going to end up losing uh, losing half the data center. We're going to have to fail it over. Um, so that was a pretty big event that sticks out in my mind. Any other um, stories that we have?
1: I uh, was going to say so there are uh, a, a ton of um, uh, a, a ton of of interesting kind of operational uh, interesting stories that happen. So we we. We tend to do quite a bit, um, again, back to that balance, on, on top of the network in order to highlight the, the power or the benefits of the of Cisco network. Um, one of the things that, that you alluded to that we've been trying to do more of is make interesting use of what was Spark and now is WebEx Teams um, and in order to kind of change the way the operations work. So in the past, there was a lot of... Um, of email that you would send, like link down this, or device went away that, um, all the email. And now we're trying to do more with uh, the, the interactivity, to the chat ops type operational model, uh, and using WebEx teams to do that. And we found some interesting use cases. Um, certainly the, the standard alerting seemed like a logical thing. People who are interested in say data center or core network alerts, uh, we have Bots that would, would spew alerts to those those rooms, so we had people joining that. But um, we were also a, a fairly um, beer loving group, if you will, um, and we had some uh, wireless uh, RF uh, or, or, or wireless um, uh, sensors and buttons on the network. So we had uh, uh, one that we stuck in, or actually a combination of two. We stuck in the knock beer fridge, which should all be standard operating equipment. Um, That any time the beer was delivered, someone would hit the button, let us know via, uh, again, it was Spark then, uh, But the WebEx teams that, hey, the beer is here. And then we had another with a connected, wireless connected uh, thermostat that would let us know if the beer was getting too warm. Um, We had uh, different uses for some of those as well. We have uh, dollies that we use or carts that we use to transport equipment around the venue. Uh, we attached proximity sensors to those so we would know where they were. And if they went out of a certain, um, if they went out of a certain radius or certain range, uh, we would be notified by the uh, the overall CMX application, the again, Spark, that, hey, this cart has is, is gone away or, hey, this cart has come back. So we, we, we try to find those types of clever things that we can do that aren't going to be, if something goes terribly wrong with them, wouldn't be too terribly operationally impacting, but they can give us some interesting use cases uh, for the Cisco network. And, and being able to combine kind of the IoT-ish realm uh, with the, the chat ops and, and getting that operational um, real time or, or just in time perspective of what was happening was, uh, was one of those interesting use cases.
0: Yeah, also for finding people in the venue. So people yeah. on the Knock team have uh, AD credentials and we were able to say, uh, hey, uh, do you remember what the bot name is? Was it just Knockbot?
1: Live Knockbot.
0: Live, live Knockbot. Uh, where, where is Joe? Where, I need to talk to Joe right now. And it would show you a map of the room where Joe was and, and a dot, you know, where he was. Um, and it was really, really accurate. I was, I was very impressed by the accuracy in that. But that was very useful um, for all the knock people.
1: Yeah, the uh, the the whole bot mentality thing kind of caught on pretty well. Um, and we found a number of different. The more we think about it, I'm sure we'll come up with more use cases for 2019. But yeah, being able to to locate someone or or some piece of gear uh, was certainly a uh, a useful thing. Uh, some of the other, uh, you, you asked about stories. Some of the other, I, I think, the other thing that you get a bunch of geeks together like us and the whole team uh, in a small and space for uh, usually long hours, so sometimes we didn't get out of there until 11 or close to midnight. Um, you get interesting home innovations, um, you mentioned the rain. Um, it, would, it did rain quite a bit. In fact, my laptop was kind of a casualty of that. But so were our shoes. You may remember that uh, we decided one day we were going to walk. Yeah, it's not that far. We'll walk from the hotel to the event. The rain picked up, and our feet are soaked. And it's not the warmest. Like
0: bel- Barcelona below world. our knees. Below yeah. our knees was soaked. It was. I mean, that was a lot of rain.
1: I, I it was, and then to solve the wet, no one wants to walk around in wet shoes. But to solve that problem, we had uh, some staging switches. I think they were some thirty-seven fifties, and people would just hang the shoes. So they built a little uh, a little hanging apparatus on the back of those switches, and the fans would just uh, would just dry out the shoe. I think you might have used that. and It worked fairly well, as I recall.
0: Oh yeah, those. That's very efficient way of doing
1: shoes see we 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 come up with uh with with inventive solutions to some of um some of the life's common problems and one of the other things um we we talked about uh, automation one of the other things you may remember is the uh just the tool we use to deploy the network well the network team the 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 switching team used to deploy the network and what we uh oh
0: yeah. Yeah, so I was impressed by uh, the tool. So I I don't know the origin of the tool. You might be able to give more around that. But I needed, so the NetApp booth needed access to the NOC so that we could show my NOC feed. And Joe said, oh, yeah, just use the tool. And I was like, I don't know what the tool is. He told me I could go to, you know, this IP address and I could log in. And then I could search by the name of the switch that was in the NetApp booth. And I could see all the port from that switch and what VLAN they're on and the status and anything connected to them. So then all I had to do was, you know, click, change the VLAN, and it would apply the uh, configuration change to that switch in the booth automatically. So they, the NOC team has this for every switch on the show floor. Just really impressive that, you know, they've been able to put this together. And uh, that, I think that applica- or that VM alone was taking up, like four times m- more memory than anything else in the data center. That was a very uh, memory hungry VM. It, it,
1: it was. Um, it didn't need to be, I don't think. But I think they wanted. To, it, <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it. It all goes back to um, probably, probably even before I started. Remco was saying we need something six or so, seven years ago. We need something as simple as a start Cisco Live button and a stop Cisco Live button. Something that could, you know, you throw a bunch of I uh, am new tailed lizard into something and boom, network. Uh, and one of the engineers at the time developed what was affectionately known as Mark as a service, his name being Mark, um, that would do a lot of the zero-touch provisioning of the switches, um, track the configuration of the, of the key devices, so there would be less copy and pasting. Um, and more reliability in terms of the config. And then, to Aaron, what you were saying, would also allow anybody to have access to do simple things, and by anybody, I mean the team, the NOC team, simple things like change a VLAN on a port. Something that's so common, you're running out, someone in a lab room needs access to this, or someone on the floor like NetApp needed access to a specific VLAN to get a video feed. Boom, boom, boom on your iPad, and it's done. The tool began to evolve and evolve and evolve to do more and more of these tasks to the point where um, I think this past year they renamed it CLASS, uh, Cisco Live Automation something service, um, but they trying to come up with some uh, a, a better, more productized uh, uh, name for it, but got to the point where you could do just about anything through this tool in terms of of talking to multiple devices across the network at once. And one of the, the kind of ultimate features designed this past year was this persistent uh, connection to every switch. So let's say you wanted to get show MAC address table from every switch in the network. You run it once and it in parallel sends it out to all the devices and something that would maybe take 15 minutes if you were to do things in batches about 15 seconds to get all the data back from 500 um, switches. So it, it, it was that reason that they thought, well, we might need a little bit more memory, we might need a few more CPUs on this, just to make sure that it's never going to get starved because it's handling our provisioning, it's handling a lot of these management tasks uh, from the device. But it certainly also goes to the whole... Uh, automation is a, is a first-class thing on the network, that, that you cannot do something that is 1,000 APs, that is 500 uh, switch, uh, wired switches, that is supporting 25 or so thousand um, people. You can't do all of that without some level of, of automation. You know, You and I did it on the monitoring side, some on the provisioning side the network team did it uh, on, the, on their provisioning side and their rollout side. So it's, it's a, that type of, of mentality that, that you have to kind of change it up a little in your head to think there's no way I'm gonna create VLAN 200 again by hand, how do I start to do some of these things in an automated fashion? And that's I think what we're gonna keep seeing more year over year as we start to automate more and more and streamline more and more of those operational uh, tasks.
0: Yeah, definitely. Talking about um, you know next year and moving on from there, what do you what kinds of things are we going to change in the near future? I know I have a few things that I'd like to do from a NetApp and storage point of view, but um, what about the rest of the network? What do we want to modify and bring in new staff or anything like that?
1: Yeah, we're going to have to talk. I, I'm actually curious to hear what you, what you want to change. Um, it's gonna, oh, no, be I'll, about I'll the talk time. about it right
0: after you talk about this.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, well, uh, some of the, the, the post-mortem things are after action, I guess is the proper term, uh, the, that I had. Uh, one of the, the issues we ran into was we were using CiscoLive.local, as you remember, the domain name, and then we kind of had that issue with macOS, and ugh, um, we really shouldn't have been using .local. We were kind of cheating a little with that. So we moved to, someone went out and actually bought CiscoLive.network as a domain name. We need to get that more formalized. Um, I want to move away from the old Nexus 5Ks and bring in uh, Nexus 9Ks. There may be more of a push this time. We we, we thought about doing layer three access uh, last time. I don't think we'll go with, with full on SDA this time around, but we may be, actually doing a, a Routed a Layer 3 Routed Layer 3 or, or Routed Layer 3 Routed Access um, this time around which will drastically change what we're going to do in terms of a, of a DHCP layout. I not talked to the, the network people on that, but, but certainly modernizing some of the data center core uh, is something I would like to do um, maybe we look to upgrade or update some of the, the UCS equipment as well.
0: Cool. Yeah, so some of the things I think from the NetApp side we'd like to do. So one, one of my biggest pain points with Cisco Live is that we use this NetApp Metro cluster in both the U.S. show and the Europe show. And you guys in Europe and the U.S. team have two entirely different sets of data that basically take up all the space that we have in the Metro cluster. So I guess we could add space to it. That would be one solution to that. Um, But the way we have been doing it so far is we move the data off of the primary system onto a secondary system after the show is over and kind of flip-flop and put the other show's data on there. So that's kind of uh, painful because you need the data in a certain spot at a certain time and transferring all of it. Um, So one of the things I'd like to do in the near future is just upload all of that to the cloud, have it sitting in AWS, for the uh, entire time that we're taking in between the shows. And then once we start staging, we'll pull it back down onto the Metro cluster. And then the other big thing is because it's a different network and everything, it's a different set of VLANs, it's a different configuration basically. If I didn't have to do all of that by hand via the CLI, that would be nice. So on the FlexPod team, we're getting really big into Ansible. I'd like to do some Ansible configuration of all of our data center devices. Um, because you know that would make it a lot simpler to get that everything set up and to move on to nerding out and writing scripts and all of that fun stuff.
1: And, and that goes to that uh, start Cisco Live, stop Cisco Live button. Thing. Exactly. It sounds like you have yeah, we want to extend thing,
0: is, that down yeah. to the storage. Perfect.
1: That yeah, sounds definitely. like a, a good plan. And um, I, I, I seem to recall we, we talked a little bit in, in Barcelona about some of the about the the, the Nexus 9K and and. Uh, increasing the bandwidth as well within, because I think now we are 10 gig, multi-10 gig connected, but moving up to to more 40 gig um, uh, multiple 40 gig connected in in the core there. Uh, Not that we necessarily need it, but but kind of modernizing the backplane and and the throughput.
0: Yeah, I think that would be a good thing. And then on the uh, upgrade side, I don't know if we'll get this this year, but in the near future, getting an IP-based metric cluster in there so that we didn't require the fiber channel switches would be uh, a good add, I think, to the network.
1: I agree. Yeah, we, uh, we've got these um, uh, older 98 9148 uh, MDS switches that are used for peering the two, the, of the two clusters, um, two active active clusters. Um, we're limited there to the 16-gig fiber channel uh, we could get 9148Ss, but they're not as – even though we are Cisco, sometimes finding the right hardware for the Cisco live network isn't isn't so easy. So, if we could move more to – we still need dedicated switches, but if we could move more to IP, we might be able to find uh, – uh, get some of that hardware a little bit more easily.
0: Yeah, agreed. Let's see. Are there any more questions? I think that was all the stuff I had to talk about.
1: I, I think one of the other. Uh, just going back to the the, the whole automation thing. Um, one of the things. So year over year, we we tend to um, we have day jobs. Uh, uh, Cisco Live <laughs> for us, you and I. It's it's a volunteer thing. Let's, let's be honest. I'm for me, it's I'm pretty sure it's a volunteer thing for you as well.
0: Oh yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. So so we we've got other things. So the more we can automate even better to that degree, but. Um, Sometimes, given calendars and scheduling, we have less time to spend on staging than we would like. Um, so sometimes we've kind of built on what we've done in years previous. This time around, we, we had to recreate a lot of things from, um, from scratch, which was also a good exercise because it got us to modernize some of the like, ESXi versions and Windows versions. Um, to what you were saying about Ansible, I think doing, doing more of trying to have the discipline to create those templates and, and do more with the um, uh, thinking automation out of the gate will help us to modernize uh, year over year. Even if even if timing becomes a, an issue, we can say you know what we need say uh, Windows, uh, Windows 2016 this time, or we need the latest ESXI. I think it would be easier to start to deploy some of that. Um, then that would be where I would, uh, one other area where I'd focus for next time is trying to be a little bit more disciplined about the, uh, the full bootstrap, uh, like you were saying about the, the storage bootstrap, bootstrap all the way up so that we're, we're much more push button in terms of deploying the, the, the data center from scratch.
0: Yeah, I think that would be cool.
1: Yeah, but uh, are there any other questions from the audience?
2: If, if you don't want to speak up, feel free to put your questions in chat. Always happy to read them out for you. Well, it looks like it. So why don't we go ahead and uh, if there's uh, no other questions, we can go ahead and close this one out. Great. Well, I'll go ahead and close out then. This has been Episode 15 of Cisco Champions Radio Season 5. I want to thank all of you for joining us today, especially Joe for sharing his insight and, for, and to Aaron for hosting today's session as well as sharing his insights as well. As always, thanks to everyone for joining and participating in Cisco Champions Radio. Look for this episode and other awesome episodes on blogs.cisco.com slash perspectives. I'm Brett Short, today's moderator. Until next time.